thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. So today we're going to wrap up the series on baptisms. It's called I Have Decided. Uh, And we're approaching this from two angles. The angle of if you haven't been baptized, we're telling you why you should be baptized. If you have been baptized, we're saying, are you living the baptized life? Everything that baptism symbolizes, are we living that uh, spiritually every, every day? The first week of this series, we looked at the biblical model of baptism in the New Testament and even went into the Greek word for baptism, which is uh, a word that means of immersion or submersion. And that's why at CCC we do baptism by full immersion. Um, uh, again, we're not going to let you float away. Had a lot of questions, everybody who's seen the river and is kind of rushing. So we don't do baptisms in the middle of the river, just so you know. There's a little nook on the edge where we do the baptisms, and there's no current there. So don't be afraid of the baptisms. But baptisms are a a public display of a personal decision. It's an outward expression of an inward transformation. We talked about that the first week of this series. Then last week, we talked about what Paul wrote to the church, uh, the Galatian church. He said, anyone who has been baptized into Christ has been clothed with Christ. And we talked about what that means. It's this image of when you come out of the water and you are just drenched with the water. It's the image uh, of that is the righteousness of God. You have been clothed with Christ in such a way, dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless, I stand before the throne. So last week we talked about clothing. This week we're going to wrap up by talking about invitations. Uh, Really just one invitation, but an invitation in the Bible that takes place on several different levels. It's an invitation to participate. Uh, A couple weeks ago, uh, our kids wrapped up their first season of T-ball. I don't know if you've ever been to a T-ball game with four and five-year-olds, but it is action-packed. So exciting. Uh, If you look away for just a moment, you'll miss the kid on second picking his nose or the kid on third picking dandelions, the kid on first building a sandcastle. Somewhere in the midst of that, there's a t-ball game happening, but it is action-packed. But I remember the the first uh, week that we went, they said, you'll know which field to go through because Uh, to go to because you just look for the giant fence. The one with a huge fence around it is your field. And they weren't kidding. It's a a huge fence. Now, a fence in the game of t-ball or baseball uh, usually serves a couple of purposes. Uh, It's there for those rocket foul balls that come back. Uh, You don't have to worry about that much in t-ball. It's there for so you'll know if you hit a home run. Again, you don't have to worry about that much in t-ball. But there are a couple of other purposes. One, for instance, is uh, in T-ball, the fence serves the purpose of uh, containing your children. So you can know that your kids aren't going to run too far away because they're fenced in. Uh, It's pretty amazing. Uh, The other purpose of the fence there is it actually creates a, a barrier of separation between those who are spectators and those who are participants. On one side of the fence, you have those who are participating in the game. On the other side, you have those who are spectators in the game. 
Now, when I was a kid, I can remember a couple of occasions going to church softball games uh, with my dad. I was too young to play, but I would watch. And at practice, sometimes, if they were desperate for an extra hand, they would allow me to come onto the field to just kind of fill a spot. But in a moment, I would cross that fence and I would move from being a spectator to a participant. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you spiritually stepped inside the fence. Uh, in that moment, uh, when it comes to the gospel, to advancing the gospel, to advancing the kingdom of God, the, the, the mission of God, you are no longer a, a, a spectator. You are now a participant in the mission of God. This whole book is story after story of God calling humanity into participation with his mission. Now that happens uh, on different levels and different ways, and this morning we're going to look at some of those different levels of participation that God invites us into. And I want to start by looking at what is perhaps the most powerful and the most effective and the most neglected way we can participate in the mission of God. And that's through prayer. Uh, prayer is the foremost way we can participate in the mission of God. And many of us would say it's the one that we neglect the most. Yet it's the most powerful. Jesus, uh, one of the things that he would fervently try to do with his disciples was to get them to understand the importance of prayer. That it is both powerful and effective. If you go to Matthew 7, 7. Uh, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now those are definitive statements. There's no question mark at the end. Jesus says, it will be given. You will find. It will be opened. And I love what Jesus actually says uh, in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. He says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer. Someone say, whatever. whatever. He says, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have already received it. Past tense. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I want to tell you something about my children. Uh, my boys have started doing this thing in the car uh, that you might find really cute and I find really annoying. Uh, when Haley starts crying, she's two years old and she always cries at some point every car ride. And the boys have figured out how to make her stop crying and they think that they're helping. So what they do is say, they say, Haley, if you stop crying, we'll give you some crackers. So she'll stop crying. The problem is we don't have any crackers. <laughs> so then she'll start crying because she doesn't have crackers. So they'll say, Haley, if you stop crying, we'll go to El Toro. <laughs> so then she starts crying. Now that's always appropriate, but we can't always do it. And I say, you guys don't have the authority to offer her El Toro. But when Jesus says, ask and you will find, ask and you will receive, seek and you'll find, Jesus has the authority to make that statement because Jesus is the one who answers the prayer. When Jesus says, believe that you've already received it and you'll receive it, Jesus has the authority to say that. Now, I want to make an important disclosure statement. Jesus was making these statements to kingdom-minded disciples who were praying kingdom-minded prayers. 
None of the disciples were asking Jesus, oh, he's talking about new cars and worldly riches. No, they were kingdom-minded people. And Jesus was saying, if you ask me for these kingdom-minded things, I will give them to you. Now, the word he uses there, by the way, is a continual tense that means continue, ask, uh, continue asking and continue seeking, continue knocking. But he is talking about kingdom-minded prayer. And in fact, Jesus told them to pray kingdom-minded prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when they said, how do we pray? He said, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. You should pray that my kingdom, the kingdom of God, comes to the earth. You should pray this. There are rare but occasional instances in the Bible, or not in the Bible, but uh, in our lives, when we pray for something and then there's no subsequent action that follows it on our part. You just pray for it and you put it in God's hand. For instance, uh, this week I spent a lot of time praying for the weather. Um, outside of prayer, there's not a whole lot I can do about the weather. And actually, uh, as I was praying, uh, I felt like I was supposed to take a picture of the forecast so that when today arrived, I could look back at the forecast. I have a picture of it, Silas, if you want to put it on, that there was a 40% chance of thunderstorms today, uh, pretty much all week until the last couple days. And now today, the high is 80, mostly sunny. It's supposed to be a beautiful day. But in that prayer, there's nothing I can do other than place this in God's hands. Now, flash flooding and whitewater rapids is another issue. I forgot to pray about that, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> but prayer is not wishful thinking. A prayer is holding the attention of the maker of heaven and earth and participating in the work of God and the plans of God and the mission of God. Now, I've said it before, and I want to share it with you again, uh, just a practice uh, that I changed in my prayer life, uh, I don't know, not too long ago, that has made a huge impact, and I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's almost like when you're raised in church, where you're raised with this idea that the harder you close your eyes and squint, the more likely God is to hear. Uh, but at some point, uh, I don't even remember who told me this, but when you pray, you're talking to a God who is with you and in you. So if I'm in here praying uh, by myself, then I will imagine Jesus sitting in this chair and I will just have a conversation with him. If I am praying in my car, I will imagine Jesus in the passenger seat and I will just have a conversation with him. And it makes my prayers uh, uh, so much more effective in my own heart just knowing that it's not a Hail Mary hoping somebody answers it, but knowing that God is with me, God is next to me, and I'm just talking to the creator of the heavens and the earth. If you struggle in your prayer life, I challenge you and encourage you to visualize Jesus right there next to you and just talk to him. Just talk to him. doesn't have to be your deepest needs. Tell him how your day is going. Just talk to him. So I said, uh, prayer, uh, rarely but occasionally, is just uh, you put it in God's hands and there's no sub subsequent action. But far more often, 
Kingdom-minded prayer is accompanied by kingdom-focused action. Kingdom-minded prayer is accompanied by kingdom-focused action. Now, if you just went back to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gave that statement to pray in his kingdom, uh, to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Jesus tells his disciples, pray that my kingdom comes upon the earth. That my will be done on the, uh, is done on the earth. But that was not the end of the story. Because Jesus later uh, basically said you were just laying the foundation there. Because then he sent them out to take the kingdom of God to the people. Uh, I have kind of a timeline that I want to go with you uh, through with you real quick. Uh, of Jesus and the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, the Bible says that uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and he heals every sickness. It was two chapters later in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus told the disciples, I want you to pray that my kingdom would come upon the earth. It was three chapters later in chapter 9 that again it says Jesus went through every town and again he is pro proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every sickness. So Jesus, is, there's this pattern taking place. He shows you what it looks like. Then he tells you to pray it in and then he continues showing what it looks like. Now why is he doing all this? Because then we get to the next chapter and I'm actually going to show you uh, Luke's uh, uh, translation of this. In Luke chapter 9, this is Jesus speaking to the 12 disciples. It says, He called the 12 together, and He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure all diseases, and He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And you say, okay, well, that's just the 12 disciples. Well, the very next chapter in Luke chapter 10, now there are 72 disciples. What does Jesus do? Luke 10, 9, Jesus said to the 72, Heal the sick, uh, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So do you see what's taking place in this timeline here? Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom. And then he tells them, I want you to begin praying that the kingdom comes. And then he gets to a few chapters later and he says, now I'm sending you out to proclaim the kingdom. And then he takes a bigger group and he says, I'm sending you out to proclaim the kingdom. Now there are two levels of participation taking place in the mission of God. The first one is prayer. But what happens is kingdom-minded prayer is now accompanied with kingdom-focused action. Because now the prayer for the kingdom to come is being met with the action to go take the kingdom out into all the world. Can I tell you, one is not intended without the other. I don't know if you're here today and... Uh, there's been a, a struggle or a challenge in your life, something you're trying to accomplish in life, uh, and you're just uh, fighting and fighting to make it happen, and maybe it's a really good thing for the kingdom of God. But have you neglected to lay that foundation of prayer? Prayer is meant to be the foundation of everything we do for the kingdom of God. I want to say something, church. I believe, uh, honestly, that we are part of something special here in this church. Uh, and I don't say that because of me. I actually say it in spite of me. Uh, 
Uh, the only thing that I have done is say yes. Can I tell you, there's a lot of power in a little yes. But I believe that God is doing spe uh, something special here. Um, I believe that there is an authentic movement of God that is coming to this area. And I, I believe we get to be a catalyst of that. It's not going to be all about us. We're not going to be in the spotlight here. But I believe we are supposed to be a catalyst of revival. Why do I believe that? Because this church was founded on prayer. There is a foundation of prayer to this church. When Emily and I, uh, all we knew was God was calling us to plant a church somewhere. Didn't even know where. Uh, I met with a pastor uh, actually, it's a pastor in Albion. Uh, and he told me, I want to tell you about this little town called Cranberry. He said, for 11 years, we have been soaking this place in prayer, praying for a life-giving, spirit-filled church to come to this place, to be a light, to be a beacon of light. And they have been praying every time they meet for 11 years over a pastor they've never met, a church that didn't exist yet, they just knew that they were supposed to bathe this place in prayer. And can I tell you that when we found out that this place was already soaked with prayer, it made our decision a lot easier to come here. Because I believe there is power in prayer. I believe that prayer is meant to be the foundation of our lives. Whatever you are facing outside of those doors, have you bathed it in prayer? Have you laid the foundation of prayer in everything you do? Now, there is a flip side to this. Because you may be here and you say, I have soaked this in prayer and prayed and prayed and prayed. And perhaps God is saying, great, you've laid the foundation. Now let's go. And maybe you're saying, no, I just wanted to do the praying. You can send somebody else. But no, God is saying, you lay the foundation of prayer. You pray thy kingdom come. And then I send you out to take the kingdom of God into all the world. And maybe you have been praying and praying and praying. And God is saying, great, now I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out into the schools and the workplace to take the kingdom of God. He told the disciples, pray in the kingdom. And then he told them, go out and take the kingdom. There is an invitation to participate with the mission of God. It begins with prayer. And then there is a participation to participate with the mission of God that calls for action. When I say that I want to see revival here, church, I want to be part of a church that doesn't just pray for the gospel to go forward, but we lay that foundation of prayer, and then we take the gospel to the people. Not just a church that prays for a, a spirit-filled revival, but a church that prays for it, and then we go out the doors and we see ourselves as catalysts of that revival. I'm not talking about a building or an organization. You sitting in the chair are the church of Jesus Christ. We can't depend on a building or organization to change anyone or anything. 
It's the people inside the building. You are the church, and that's the way that God intended it. You know, the Bible says that this kingdom of God that we are praying would come to earth. In Luke chapter 17, it actually says that that kingdom is within you. Now, what does it mean that the kingdom of God that you're supposed to be praying down to the earth is within you? Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, the Bible says, he heals someone who is demon-possessed. Uh, not only are they demon-possessed, but they are blind and mute. And when Jesus heals them, the religious leaders say, how dare you? You must be doing it by the power of Satan. So Jesus responds to them in Matthew 12, uh, starting in verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And then he says this in verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, if this is by the Spirit of God, if I am operating under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming upon you. That's why he says that the kingdom is within you because the Holy Spirit is within you. And when you begin operating in the power of the Spirit, in the leadership of the Spirit, in the boldness of the Spirit of God, that's called the kingdom coming. That's called the kingdom of God coming to earth. God has placed it within you. So we lay the solid foundation of prayer. We participate in prayer, and then we participate in action. Renee, if you would go ahead and come. So two of the ways that we are invited into this mission are prayer and action. But this afternoon, we're going to participate in another way that Jesus has called us to. This afternoon, we have the opportunity to participate in his death and resurrection. Uh, baptism symbolizes a participation in his death when we go under the water, resurrection when we come up out of the water. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. For those of you being baptized today, when you go under the water, you are identifying with the death and burial of Christ when you go under the water. It says, we were buried with him through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When you come up out of the water, you are identifying in Christ as having new life in him. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Part of what baptism represents, what it symbolizes, is you are identifying with him in his death 
in his burial, and in his resurrection. But you are making the proclamation that you find your identity now in him, in his death, and in his burial, and in his resurrection. At the core of Christianity is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In baptism, we participate with him in his death and resurrection. And there's one more opportunity for participation today. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Today we have the opportunity to participate with one another. It's a joyous occasion for many people this morning. As a church family, I want to challenge you because uh, I don't say this Hopefully I say this because I feel it in my spirit. As a church, we're going to continue to see growth. The reason is because the Spirit of God and the presence of God is in this place. What I need from you is to be intentional about something. As we grow larger, let's not grow apart. As we grow larger, let us continue to grow together as a family, as those who rejoice when others are rejoicing, those who mourn when others are mourning, those who hold each other up in the, in, the, in the hard times, those who celebrate in the good times. My hope is when you walk through those doors, you know that this is a family. That, that, that is the desire of my heart and Emily's heart is that this is a home where you find family. And as we grow, I'm asking you to be intentional about that. To find people that maybe you've never met before and hang out with them. If you've never met my kids, you can babysit them as long as you want. I will do that for you. But today, whether you want to get baptized or not, I'm not trying to pressure you or make you feel obligated, but it is an opportunity, an opportunity to celebrate with one another. She knows the service is coming to an end. It's okay. Every Sunday at 1030, it's okay. Church, can you stand with me this morning? Uh, Lord, we, we come before you and I thank you again for your presence. And I pray that we would be a church full of people who say yes to you. Now this morning, God, if there's anywhere in our lives that maybe we haven't laid the foundation of prayer, but we've been trying so hard, would you reveal those areas to us, God, so that we can bathe them in prayer? And if there's anywhere, God, that we've been praying, but you're calling us to action, would you reveal those to us? This morning, for everyone who's being baptized, God, I pray that it is just a joyous occasion, a life-changing occasion, God. 
every bit of your presence that's here with us this morning. I pray that it goes with us to the picnic and to the baptisms, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, church, if you didn't get directions and you want to go, uh, Rob has, Iran has directions in the back. Uh, if you want to get baptized uh, but have questions, let me know. Uh, anyone who is getting baptized, come and see me really quick. Uh, everyone else, I hope you can make it to the baptisms. If not, we'll see you next Sunday at 1030. All right, have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.